Welcome to the Kara's Cure Show, where we explore the cutting edge of wellness. Do you sometimes struggle with stomach pains, bloating, not sure exactly what's going on? Well, it could be something that you could find out with a simple test. I am joined now by naturopathic doctor Jennifer Stagg, um, who is telling us something about SIBO. And I've never even heard of SIBO, really, but apparently it's extremely common and we all need to know about this. Yeah, for sure. It is really common. Um, as we've talked about, 15% of the general population will test positive for SIBO. And that's not even like the people who necessarily have like GI symptoms. Yeah. So let's talk about at first um, some of the symptoms that I know so many people struggle with and mm -hmm. might blame it on something else. What are some of the symptoms of having SIBO um, Tell us that, and then we'll find out exactly what it stands for. Okay, yeah. So you're going to want to know about SIBO if you have symptoms of bloating, like where your belly gets distended throughout the day. And that could be, you know, it's happening every day or it's happening occasionally. Irregular bowel movements, whether it's constipation or diarrhea, abdominal discomfort, pain, um, some upper GI stuff, like even the sense of fullness after a meal. Um, heartburn could even... to potentially be SIBO. Okay, so and what is SIBO? Yep, so SIBO is an acronym for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So that means that in the small intestine, there's too much bacteria in there. So normally we shouldn't have a lot of bacteria. And as, as a lot of people know, we have like your microbiome all through your gut. So most of that bacteria should be in your large intestine, but some of it gets sort of like moved up into the small intestine so that now you have too much bacteria, the wrong types of bacteria, and when you eat food, bacteria in that area will ferment and produce gas, okay. and that will cause that discomfort, bloating, and even like irregular bowel movements. So 15% of the general population will have SIBO, but 40 to 80% of IBS patients tested positive for this, and half of celiac patients who are not better on a gluten-free diet. So you might even think, oh, I'm a celiac, but I'm not getting better. You could have SIBO, and there's a test to determine it for right. sure? Yeah, exactly. So if you're having symptoms of IBS or, you know, as you said, with celiac disease and you're still not feeling better, you can ask your doctor to get you tested for SIBO. And it's a simple breath test. So it's non-invasive. It's not like you can test for SIBO with an aspiration during an endoscopy, but that's very rarely done. The way that everybody does it is through breath testing. So you're okay. basically, you're drinking a solution of a, sh a sugar and then based on, and then you're blowing in tubes and then you're, the instrument is measuring the amount of gas produced, like hydrogen gas, methane gas, gas that would be produced by bacteria. And so if the levels are higher than they should be, then we can diagnose that patient with having overgrowth SIBO. Okay, so these patients might be just living for a very long time with um, constipation, bloating, diarrhea, any of that, and just have no idea. Yeah, absolutely. Or it can be something where they've been fine all along and now all of a sudden they're having a problem. So a lot of times we'll see that sort of presentation and then we ask, there's a lot of you know, risk factors for SIBO. Anyone can get it, but some people are at a higher risk. And many times it's someone who's had like a GI virus or has had some sort of like serious infection that has affected mm. sort of the motility in the gut, disrupted things. You know, if you're throwing up, it's pulling, st like your 
you know, your whole system is going upward instead of going downward, and that reverse peristalsis can cause bacteria to move up into the small intestine. So that's a common thing that we'll, like, I'll find is, is that uh, presentation of having had some sort of, like, GI virus. Does that mean that we're seeing more SIBO since COVID because so many people had bad viruses or even affected their GI? Yeah, Potentially, yes, because COVID in many cases can cause GI effects too. So if you actually had GI, like a, it's a virus, so just like any virus, it can affect your gut. Some are more uh, prone or susceptible in, in the gut. But yes, like COVID could definitely be another one of those viruses that could trigger a SIBO infection. So. This isn't something that your doctor is normally going to test you for, though. Yeah, I mean, if you go to your primary care doctor and you have GI complaints, if they're, if it's anything, you know, more complicated, they'll typically refer you to GI anyway. And so then at the GI doctor, that's where most people would actually get tested. Um, but still, I'll often have patients who have been fully worked up by GI, and they're coming in and they just have this diagnosis of IBS, and they haven't been tested for SIBO. Wow. There's lots of doctors, GI doctors, here are in, like in our region that are testing for SIBO, um, and there's an excellent, like you know, one of the best experts in the country is here in Connecticut, Dr. Zacco. Um, but we still see like a lot of patients who haven't been tested yet. Okay, so if you're sitting there struggling with IBS and having these, and I think of you know my own mom, who this is how we kind of had this conversation about Kara's cures is you asked me had she been tested for SIBO and um, as far as I know she had not yet she struggled with GI issues and she's taken the probiotic and they wanted the low FODMAP diet and all this stuff but it could be something more than that and there is a simple test you could also do at home can, yeah, you, yeah. can you tell us about we're Absolutely. holding it right here so I just want to show people what, it's what, just what a, would this be a simple kit that you can um, get through a doctor mm -hmm. uh, typically you know this often it's naturopathic doctors integrative doctors that will dispense these at-home kits. It's the same sort of equipment that would be used for a, in a GI practice. We're just that test goes out by FedEx to this company. But you're collecting the samples at home instead of in a clinic, which is much easier for a lot of patients, way more convenient. And you're basically just drinking this solution, blowing in tubes like every 20 minutes for a couple of hours. You eat a really bland diet the day before. Then once we get the results processed based on that outcome of if there's too much gas produced, the two types of gas, we can tell whether it's hydrogen predominant or methane predominant, and that can sort of guide us even a little bit more in detail of how to treat it. Okay, so let's talk about the treatment. Once you decide, hey, can I get this test, mm -hmm. and you might get it from your gastrointestinal doctor, or perhaps you can get it ordered and do it at home, which is a little more convenient than going and blowing right. in tubes for a few hours. <laughs> so there's two ways to treat it? Yep. Yeah, so you can get a, a treatment with uh, antibiotics, so there's a specific antibiotic protocol for it. Um, and then there's herbal antibiotics. So you can use herbal antimicrobials and they have been clinically shown to be just as effective as the prescription. So a lot of people don't like to take antibiotics. There's certainly a time and place for antibiotics. You know, some of my patients choose to go antibiotic route and I'm supportive of that as well. But there are great natural solutions here that are clinically shown in a Johns Hopkins study to be actually a little bit more effective than, really? the, herbal, than the prescription antibiotics. So those are on the table here too. These are all, again, these are not something you're gonna go pick up at the local drugstore and just say, I'm gonna start taking this. These specifically are by a company called Metagenic 
clinics. They have super long names, but there is a protocol, and then this is and a this different is, company? Yeah, Biotics. So Metagenics and Biotics have, um, were the two companies that the um, herbal antimicrobials were tested in this clinical study and cleared 46% of cases like fully after a month on it. And then the prescription antibiotic cleared um, 36%. So it was a little less that, that, you know, people might Would you ever do both? Yeah, so sometimes. And so in that study, actually, the patients that failed the prescription antibiotic treatment, then they did a second round where they put them on herbal antibiotics, and about 60% of those then cleared on the herbal. So, I mean, um, herbal antibiotics, people, I'm guessing a lot of people haven't even heard of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, there are certain herbs that kill bacteria. Yeah, exactly. And it, I'll get a, I don't want to get too complicated here, but then there's also something called fungal overgrowth. So CFO, small intestinal fungal overgrowth. So some people are dealing with more of a fungal overgrowth, or it could be, even be a combination. So their breath test could actually be negative, and it's actually fungal overgrowth. Okay. This gets a little more tricky but if you a lot of people could have both and the herbal antibiotics clear bacteria and fungus versus a bacterial like an antibiotic is only going to work on the bacteria okay so another option for treatment Mm -hmm. is a liquid diet but yeah Again, yeah, you're not very, just going to go do it yeah, yourself. A very specific <laughs> liquid diet. So this particular diet is um, called Physician's Elemental Diet, and um, that has been clinically studied as well. It, you're, you know, there's a big commitment here. You're drinking just like a liquid shake for all your meals. You can have water as well, but no solid food for 14 days. Okay. But the clearance rate is... Um, 80 to 85% on that. And I've had a lot of patients. I have patients that do all, like, a lot of different options there, but I do have plenty of patients who have went the elemental diet route, and, you know, sometimes they feel so much better. They're like, can I stay on this? <laughs> like, no, we're going to take you off of it. We'll get you back on food, and you're going to feel better because it's getting rid of the bacteria. Okay. So that's the thing is, is if you're just learning about this, then the point of doing it would be to feel better. What happens mm-hmm. after you clear this? Yeah. Yeah, so once you clear it, the the a lot of people could be totally fine, but then there are some people that continue to have recurrences of it. And so then they're getting another round of antibiotics or we're putting them on another round of the herbal antibiotics or if they've done one of these then we're doing an elemental diet. So you definitely get some patients that, you know, are resistant to treatment and could take multiple rounds. And then you can get people who are better for like 6 months, they're great and then their symptoms slowly start coming back. So as naturopathic doctors, we really look at, you know, all the different potential causes. So we're looking at, like, does that person have sort of slow motility anyway? We have to work on, like, getting their bowel moving more regularly, which would predispose them. Some people have low stomach acid, which is something that is not talked about a lot, and that can be a contributing factor. Or they have, like, low digestive enzyme function. And so then we're, you know, we're assessing all these other factors and then addressing those, too, to prevent those recurrences. Okay. And so that would 
would be the point of the of looking at this holistically yes. is if you go to a traditional GI, um, sometimes they're amazing at what yeah. they do, yes, colon, absolutely. colon cancer, all of those things. But sometimes when it comes to like what's wrong and how to re rebalance your gut, that's the specialty that you guys are really great at. Right, yeah. And we're looking at it from all those different factors and even looking at the impact of stress. And so we're recommending specific supports for managing stress because that can be another big factor where it keeps coming back. You know, they seem to be doing everything else right, but it's just like they're not managing stress well in their life. Okay. Is it um, more common to have SIBO in men or women and can kids get it too? Yeah, I mean, kids can definitely get it. Like I have teenagers in my practice that I've tested and treating for SIBO. Um, and then in terms of men versus women, yes, like both both um, genders deal with it. I'm not, I haven't really looked closely to see if there's any sort of increase. I mean, with IBS, it's more common in women. So yeah, so that is that is true. Women are more IBS, yeah. have more IBS. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I, I mean, that is something that I think so many women, especially after maybe post 40 or something, mm -hmm. uh, at least I know in my own family, my mother, I don't remember having any, she said she just said she could eat anything, stomach like iron. Right. But as people get older, they start having these digestive issues. Yeah. And if you don't feel well, you really don't have any energy to do anything else. So it's a snowball effect. Yeah, for sure. It is really common as people get older to have um, like lower levels of stomach and of stomach acid, lower levels of enzymes. Those are all things that we would think about, and that's why older people can also be at risk of nutrient deficiencies mm -hmm. as well. So w let's talk about the stomach acid for a moment. You mm -hmm. mentioned that a couple of times. Yeah. What does that ex actually mean? Yeah. If you, and so, what do you do about yeah, it? <laughs> most people know about too much stomach acid, right? That's when you have like, heartburn. So that's when you have like classic heartburn. You're producing too much acid. Uh, you're put on a proton pump inhibitor or an acid blocker, and um, that is pretty like widely known. The flip side of that is not enough stomach acid, and in really small percentage of cases, that person could present with having a, some heartburn, and which okay. is kind of unusual. Yeah. And typically, like we wouldn't just and, and so in terms of treating it, there are a lot of different ways to treat it. You can treat it by um, using bitters, so like bitter herbs, bitter drinks, and bitter food to increase the amount of acid your stomach is producing. Um, but you can also take supplemental stomach acid, so basically a pill of HCL that you would take along with your meal. This is something I wouldn't suggest people to just do on their own. There are a lot of contraindications for that. Uh, you really want to work with a knowledgeable functional doctor if you're going down that avenue of thinking about that. And, and one of the reasons we, you know, we do this Kara's Cure show is when we're talking about functional doctors um, like yourself, and Connecticut is rich with them, so that's great. We mm -hmm. have a lot of different perspectives. You absolutely work with the primary care or the GI, but the difference is your whole what you're looking for is what's the root cause of this, yeah. so how do I fix it? So rather than the trimming the weed, you want to pull the weed. Right, absolutely. We're always like trying to go as deep as possible. And a lot of times there are multiple different factors going on, so it's not always just like this like silver bullet. Like, yeah. oh, we found the answer, it's just this, because we're complex, we're human. Okay. <laughs> Incredibly complex, uh -huh. there's often a lot of different factors. So it gets it gets complicated. So we're working on a lot of different factors like stress and you know hormone dysfunction and the, the, the list goes on. But gut health is so key to everything else that yeah. goes on in your body.
Yeah, I mean, so uh, it's really gut health can impact your mental health, your mm -hmm. well-being, your digestion, all of it, because all of our neurotransmitters are made in our yes. gut, right? Yeah, exactly. So that a lot of times when patients come in with depression or anxiety and mood disorders, we're like looking at their gut health as well, right? Which okay. is kind of like an odd thing at first, but when people start to understand how, yes, neurotransmitters are made in the gut, a lot of like depression now, the more modern thinking is that it's inflammatory in origin. And so then we're looking at gut inflammation, brain inflammation, all of those things combined. Which, you know, is interesting because people say, oh my gosh, you know, what am I? But one of uh, maybe some of our listeners follow Dr. Sarah Gottfried, who I know you know on Instagram. And she recently posted, you know, after being trained at Harvard and MIT, that she used to think toxins and inflammation were sort of like could be a factor after all these other things and now that she thinks that her it's the driving factor yeah. and like trying to detox people and all this but um because i think some people might think oh come on i don't need to detox or whatever this is just someone trying to make money and i don't really need to do this right yeah that's not it's not what our body already knows how to do yeah but it's like the science is really catching up with all of this now if you read any medical journal it's all about like inflama inflammation yeah. gut health toxicity it's just everywhere so it's you can't kind of like just put it in the background any longer. Right, which is great that there's some agreement. I actually thought it was interesting when I took my mom to her GI appointment for the first time. They said, no, no, don't do any of the Metamucils and stuff that we used to tell you. We want you to start taking your probiotic. And I'm yeah. thinking, well, I, she's been taking a probiotic for a long time because of people that I interview like you. Yeah. But um, sometimes, and again, this is not to criticize, but sometimes the traditional medical model, which can be so important when we have a serious thing going on, sure. it takes a little longer to catch up because of the way they study things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's exactly what it is, that there are really like driven standard of care protocols that take a while to get updated. And it might be like a 10 year gap. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so um, back to SIBO. It, if you just want to have a little review here, again, let's just go over the symptoms again. So people thinking, yeah. I know everyone's listening, do I have SIBO? I mean, and the fact is, the statistics you're telling me about, a lot of people have this. Yeah, for sure. It's like very common. And often if I'm testing someone, it's very likely they're going to be positive because now I'm suspecting that they have SIBO. We don't just test everyone that walks in. So the the positive rate is very high if I'm sending a patient home with a SIBO kit. <laughs> okay. Right. So, well, and I'll get to the symptoms again in one more second, yeah. but let's just say you're sent home with this. And again, this home test is probably not something your regular GI is going to give you. Or yeah, the regular no, they will typically send out, like, and you would just do it at a local GI practice. Which here. you're fine with. Yeah, that can and, be really and good. we will routinely send out as well. And so that will be covered by insurance. If you're doing the kit, you're going to pay out of pocket. But a lot of times people are like, well, I'd prefer to pay out of pocket it's really it's about $200 so it's not super expensive and it is if you're paying a high deductible for your insurance you might be paying more like you know actual out-of-pocket when you're getting the in-person test done in the okay. office so it also will depend on what kind of insurance like if you've got you know if you're on Medicare or something you might want to go the traditional route if you've got the time but if you're working and all these things right. and this is what's going to happen uh, when yeah, we open so, this right. what is in here <laughs> I don't know if I'm supposed to open yeah. it but what's in here there's a set so there are tubes that you're basically going to collect these tubes there's a apparatus that you're just basically going to breathe through and then attach the tubes and then there's a little powder that you mix up in solution and that you drink that morning. So you basically, you eat a bland diet the day before, you fast overnight, 
you drink this solution. Well, you take your first sample and then you drink the solution and then you're going to take your samples like cereal samples so we can see what's happening over time in terms of like the gas production. Is it complicated for someone to do on their own? It's not at all. And this company is really great. They have, you know, a video link that you can like actually watch a video. So I always we do a lot of different testing through this company and the video links are really key. But there's, you know, very detailed. We've all gotten good at swabbing well. our noses for COVID That's so we right. can breathe yeah, in a tube, a I guess. <laughs> um, and then some of these instances would be this particular protocol. How yeah. long will it take to get, if you know you have it, how long is it going to take to get better? Yeah, so we tend to do a 30-day treatment, and that's what has been shown clinically with these two products, Biotics and Metagenics. The other thing about naturopathic, so naturopathic medicine, is that we add on, like, extra things. So we will add on things like biofilm disruptors. Here I'm throwing out another weird term. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want any biofilm. You better disrupt that. <laughs> so bacteria will grow in what's called a biofilm. So it's kind of like a mass of bacteria. Uh. And so to break down that structure, you basically use enzymes to break that down. So although we're using like plant medicines that are antimicrobial, if you use a biofilm disruptor on top of it, you're kind of breaking down that structure and then the herbs can be more effective. So we even do these additional add-ons above and beyond the just the herbal antibiotics. Or, and then we may have people on a digestive enzyme just like to help digest their food while they're on that uh, protocol. We might be giving them magnesium as well to help with their motility. If there was someone who was like constipation prone and they were going multiple days without a bowel movement. So there's a lot of other things that we might also do. Yeah. What if they're already on medications for things like IBS? Like maybe they're taking something like Linzess or one of those mm -hmm. things. Can they still do all this? Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you can still treat it along with other GI medicines. Okay, so yep. it shouldn't prevent you from doing something like that. Right. So the bottom line is we need to know what SIBO is um, and what does the acronym stand for yeah, again? So it's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So and the SIBO and then there, as I said there's CFO which is fungal overgrowth. Small also. intestinal fungal overgrowth. Which is like that's becoming more of uh, a recognized condition. SIBO is still under recognized. CFO is way under recognized but okay. that's an issue too. Okay so these are things you need to bring up and they could be very common symptoms that you mm -hmm. might think that you just have to live with. Yeah, like the, absolutely. The gas, the heartburn, yep. the digestive. But the classic like distended belly. Like you'll often, you'll hear, you know, you could have friends that complain about like they're fine when they get up, they start eating and their belly starts getting big. They'll complain like, oh, I feel like I'm six months pregnant and they just have this like tight distended belly mm. versus someone who's always bloated. So okay. if someone is just like chronically bloated, yes, they could have SIBO, but like a very classic presentation of SIBO is that like the belly gets distended more as you go throughout the day. Or what about right after you eat versus... Yeah, exactly. Like, okay. It's kind of like they'll say, okay, right after lunch, like maybe their breakfast is kind of light and they're not so bad, and then they start having like more food. And certain foods, the high FODMAP foods, which have like different types of carbohydrates in there, and fiber, then they're going to cause like more SIBO symptoms, like more distension, more discomfort. So some people will go on these low FODMAP diets, which while they're on treatment, then yes, like in a lot, some cases we'll do dietary modification along with it, um, but they're not going to cure it just on its own. Like that would be really uncommon that you could just like go on a low FODMAP diet and this would be better without doing any sort of 
uh, herbal or prescription antibiotics. And I just want to talk to people about what low FODMAP diet would be. Um, and I'll do a time check with Marnie too. Just how, do we how much time we have left? But um, with our director to see if you can go over this. But low FODMAP, you might be hearing that from your GI. So yeah, yeah, and that can be helpful for a period of time. But it's reducing things like onions, like cutting out onions and garlic, cutting out some cruciferous vegetables, or eating very limited amounts of it. So you're. It's not like it's just like cutting out sugar. The low fat diet itself is hard. It's strict. It's hard to follow. You're cutting out foods that are like actually good for you. And once you clear SIBO, you should be able to eat all of those foods. We don't want people like not eating cruciferous vegetables. Like they can't eat leafy greens and things like that, or like can't eat garlic or onions. Right. That's those are things are actually good for a healthy microbiome. Okay, so also if someone's going, gosh, um, I just can never have garlic and onions, I have the worst stomach ache, does that mean that That could be an indicator of SIBO. And then certainly some people can be truly sensitive. There's a genetic, like truly sensitive to garlic type of situation. It's not that common, but that's like a separate thing. Or some people could have an actual food sensitivity and some of these foods are bothering them and they don't have SIBO. Okay, and so it's so important because again, our gut control is not just how you're feeling, which mm-hmm. is important. You know, I know uh, some people just struggle and they're taking their tums every day or their over-the-counter stuff. But you want to get this fixed because it can lead to just so many. If it, if you, if it goes untreated, what's the risk? Yeah, I mean, it can end up like you can have a lot of like nutrient malabsorption. You can have a host of different things happening in the gut that, you know, chronic inflammation, those factors that sort of just snowballs out of like out of control, I would say. Okay, and the risk factors, again, if you've had um, some sort of a stomach issue going yeah, on. Yeah, so that's what I see like very commonly, but even taking acid-blocking medications like oh. the PPIs can put you at risk of having SIBO. And certainly there are some cases like people who have had esophageal cancer, or they have Barrett's esophagitis, I wouldn't say like, oh gosh, go get off your PPI. They need to be on those medicines. Uh, but a lot of people are on a, a PPI and forever and have never tried going off of it and it could be creating more problems right there's a lot of studies on yes. long-term use being and so the protocol problem. you actually do also i know help people get off because you can't just go off your acid right. blocker or yeah. you're going to be in too much yeah. pain yeah. so there's a protocol that uh, functional doctors will do to get you off so that you can be off of it yeah. um in closing we've got a few minutes left is there anything we can do to prevent SIBO yeah so per, in terms of prevention like some of the main factors are managing things like stress. Obviously, you know, your environment puts you at risk of all sorts of chronic illness and and disease. So managing stress is always important for pretty much everything. Uh, But eating just like a general healthy diet so you do have a healthy microbiome can be helpful too. So not eating like a ton of sugar, that's really bad for your microbiome in general. It will allow everything that's like not so good to flourish. Yeah, try to tell that to the teens, right? (laughs) No. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Maybe they're lucky that they're young and they have more SIBO eaters. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, you, people can find you also on social media at? Yeah, yeah at Instagram is at Jen Stag with one N and then on Facebook as well. Okay, and Whole Health uh, LLC, yep. right in Farmington, in Connecticut. Farmington, yeah. You take insurance, and we take it, most insurances. We have um, there's three naturopathic doctors there, and so we can um, take new patients and 
help people understand and figure out if they have SIBO. Or yes, not. and and your husband is a chiropractor yeah. there too. It's yeah. a family business, <laughs> so uh, I've been there. It's a great place. So uh, something to definitely know about. Mark this, save it, maybe send it to your loved one who's been struggling. See if this resonates with them. Um, we've just learned a lot here, and hopefully given you a lot of solutions on the cutting edge of wellness. So thanks for being here for Kara's Cures. Uh, I like to share this content on social media as well, so you can follow me at Kara Sundlin on every platform. We'll give it there. Um, it's also, of course, a podcast if you're watching on YouTube. You can listen to this on Apple or Spotify or your favorite podcast platform. So have a great day, everyone, and be well. Thanks for being here.